um, this Sunday we heard um, a, a profound message from Bishop Brett Fuller, our senior pastor, called Being Kept. Oh, yes. Um, he preached out of John 17. It was funny. We were talking about it. We were, you know, it's Pastor Brett. So, you know, we're going like, hey, we're in a relationship series. Do you want to jump in the vein with us? Do you have your own word? He said, I'll, whatever you guys are doing, I'm in. We said, great. Like, give us an idea, like, of the topic. Like, what do you think you want to do? And he's like, I'm coming out of John 17. And we're going, okay. So high, so high priestly prayer. High priestly prayer. And relationships. And relationships. I said, well, we'll just see what he does. We'll just see what he does. And I said, I think it's going to be like friendship and unity. And then he does this message on the names. And we're like, man, why are you on another level, Pastor Brett? You're just, you're up here and I'm down here. I need to help bridge the gap. But um, as we spent time talking about this message and unpacking it, breaking it down, man, there was so much, uh, is profundity a word? I like it. Profoundness. No, I yes. Think, I think you were right. Pro- I think it's profundity, profundity. right? You never Stick heard that. with it. Be confident. Yeah, be, be confident. Run with it. It was profundity that it you was, said that. It, it, was, it was very profound. The impact, the power of a name, how that shapes us. Um, so, yeah, thoughts on the message. Big takeaways for you that, that, that resonated and stuff. Yeah, no, I, th- I thought the message was great. It, one thing that touched me when he was talking about the name was uh, the different take on taking the Lord's name in vain. Right. That uh, so many of us think of it as like a saying an OMG. And then we're like, oh, you can't say that. And maybe like, sure, that's part of it. It's like we shouldn't use Jesus Christ as an exclamation to like something that's surprising or going on in our lives. And he was saying how um, he's given us his name and be, to be carriers of his name means that we walk in a way that's worthy of his name. And so we don't take it in vain as we live our lives, not just as we speak out of our mouths, which raises the bar, I think, to just another level of like, I can't say that word to now it's like, oh, my life Mm -hmm. is now a declaration of whether his name is being carried in vain or not. That's powerful. you, you, You just made me think of like, when you're in a dating relationship, you know, you guys remember, those of you who are old and married like me, uh, oh, me and my man. Us here. young people so, know old, something old, about dating. Old and married. It's not like we have never been on a date before. Yeah. Well, no, you know, the early stages is like, I really like you. I really like you. Yeah, I like you. Do you like like and then me? There's, you like like me. And then there's like when you drop love, but you Ooh. never carelessly drop love in a relationship. That's like a milestone in the relationship, right? Like you hold off for that. And the first time you say it, it wants to be an important thing, right? And so we put a lot of weight on it. And then we'll drive in traffic and be like, Jesus. Yeah, no, and we don't point. ascribe yeah. the same profundity to the name of Jesus. You're with me. Come on, seventeen. You're with me to the name of Jesus as we do to love. It's just interesting. Yeah, no, that's true. How about you, Jay? Quick, Quick question though: Did you say I love you first, or did Michelle say it first? Oh, I definitely said it first, man. I'm of course the, he I'm did. I'm of a man course. In <laughs> Because you're the emotional one. You're the emotional. It's because you're the. Hey, you probably cried when he said it. You were crying, weren't you? It was like your third <laughs> date, and you're like, "Girl, Andrew's so good." I've never felt this way about exactly. anybody. <laughs> you don't know. Oh, man. I'm for it. But no, I, I'll answer your question. So, I mean, for for me, uh, the name a name is important. So, I mean, you guys know. Oh, I think I said this before. My 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 name is Jermaine Thomas Moore. I have. A twin brother, his name is Jeremy Thomas Moore. Uh, my father's name was Roy Thomas Moore. Uh, I believe my, my great-grandfather, his name was Roy Thomas Moore as well. 
I have two sons. I've named them uh, Kingston Thomas Moore, and there's Levi Thomas Moore. My sister had a son. She named him DeAndre Thomas Moore. DeAndre just had a son, and he named him Ryan Thomas Moore, right? Yeah. So there's something for us that a name there's something. is important, yeah. right? Something. <laughs> oh, yes. My wife hates it, right? But uh, <clears throat> So but many Thomas Moores. So she Thomas can't Moore's. even... And my, my kids kind of pick on her because they say that she, her name is not Thomas Moore. So they say you're not really kind of part of the family. But we, we, work, we work through that. We work through that. But anyway. You're training them up still. I'm training them exactly. up. I'm still, still working, working on my boys and trying to get them to understand what it means to carry the name Thomas Moore. But um, I, I think that's what I took away. And kind of the first things that I, I kind of was brought to my, my remembrance was the importance of a name and why I use the name because I want my sons to to carry this Thomas Moore name so when they leave the house they're not just Kingston right Right. and they're not just Levi but they are leaving the house with uh you know their father's name right so they're representing not just me but they're representing they're not representing just themselves representing me they're representing God because of Thomas Moore's bring it full circle, we have a Thomas More kind of creed and what that means for us, what it means to live out a life that God has called us to live. So it's, it's full circle, but I love the fact that he kind of talked about the importance of a name. Mm. It means a lot to me. That's, That's so great. Uh, yeah, I'm the first of my name. <laughs> and now I feel lame. And now it's yeah. too late for <laughs> Logan Levi. Yeah, so Judah. ship sailed on that one. Exactly. <laughs> I could go back. No, I love the idea of of and this is kind of the message for us right it's uh, jesus bestows upon us his name and we talked about the the weight of that and pastor brett did a phenomenal job unpacking for us the significance he did not give the name to jacob because he was he was sneaky he was a deceiver and he said tell me your name and he said no i'm not giving you my name and so just with that act alone you go oh there's there must be something about the name and Jesus gives us that name that we might be one. And what Pastor Brett drew out, at least the way that I see it, is he put a boundary around our lives now. When he put his name on us, he drew a boundary line around our lives that says, those who are called by my name will be defined by these things. And so we carry that into every relational environment that we step foot in, whether that's marriage, dating, coworker, friendship, family, everything. We go, I now represent I'm not just AJ McGraw, I'm AJ Thomas Moore. I'm AJ Son of God. Absolutely. <laughs> Please. I will adopt you. Absolutely. Okay. I'm in. But that begins to shape my worldview. That begins to shape the way I see other people in that. And so tonight, as we are talking about questions, like what well, how, how do we take questions on a name? Um, what I want, what we've talked about, I think the best way to funnel this is there is um, the name that Christ gives us that bonds us as the body of Christ. Um, you all are family to me, but you're not my blood relatives. We don't share the same actual last name. Many of you are my, are my friends. And so one part of this is how we treat our friends and those that we're in community with, whether that's within the body or outside. And the other part of this is those who do share our last name, those who we are in family with, that we're, we are the Thomas Moores. So then how do I treat those people? So as we think about the power of a name, the impact of a name to shape and conform our lives, our hope is tonight we're thinking about that through the lens of family and friendships and how that can shape and inform those relationships. So as you're listening, we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit more um, as you're th- thinking about this through that, that uh, lens. Send your questions. Oh, we've already got great. This is great. Already got questions coming in. 
uh, go to slido.com and then you can just punch in the code 802737 and it'll pull up the chat or um, the list of questions. Again, you can upvote those. Most of you have been here for a few weeks, so you know this process, um, but you can send questions in or upvote them. Uh, my, one que- my one ask would be um, if there are specific relative details or information that would help us answer your question better and that you could include, that would help us um, give answers that are helpful and not harmful, which is our heart. Um, so last year you preached a message in our Colossians series. Um, you had a difficult passage. Yeah. J- Jermaine, I think it was your first Wednesday and we invited Jermaine to come basically preach on the part of Colossians. That's like, wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, slaves, love your masters. Uh, fathers, don't make your children angry. We're like, yeah, we'll give it to, the, we'll, we'll, we'll give it to Jermaine. That's right. That's the softball. It was, was it hazing? That's what y'all do to new, new pastors? We would never call it that. Okay. I got it. Yeah. It's that's leadership what, development. That's what it felt like. That's what it felt like. It was, it, was to an, it was to an empty room. I was looking at this red light, and I'm saying, wives, submit to your husbands. Thank you. Um, yeah, drop the mic. And then you ran off down to Sterling. <laughs> Who was uh, that guy? Yeah, exactly. Thank you, uh, Pastor Duke, wherever you are. Um, so, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, I'll pay for that one later. I will. Uh, but no, I remember preaching that passage, and uh, I'm glad that he gave me some runway on the passage because it does talk about some very practical things. Wives submit to husbands, husbands the way you're supposed, you're supposed to love your wives, husbands, uh, really parents, how are you supposed to parent your kids, kids, how are you supposed to relate to your parents, and then also slaves and masters, masters and slaves. Uh, and I kind of you know talked about um, really work employees, employers, bosses, things like that. But uh, before it actually jumped into the practicalities, it did talk about basically um, how our heart should be postured towards God. And this is what really informs how we are to relate to each other. And so at the end of the passage, before it gets to all the practical things of how you should live your life out, it says, do everything, whether in word or in deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, and so it says, basically, how are you supposed to relate wives? How are you supposed to relate to your husbands? Husbands, how you should relate, relate to your wives? It should really be, should be a reflection of Jesus Christ, right? And so that's what I loved about that passage. It really helped me frame a very tough passage in a very tough environment. It helped me frame it in a way that, that made sense, kind of a, a really a countercultural sense, too, as well. But, you know, me as a husband, um, the way that I love my wife um, should reflect uh, the name of Jesus Christ. And so other people should be able to see how I love my wife and say, there's something different about the way that he loves his wife. There's something Good. different about the way that he parents. There's something different about the way that he treats his coworkers or the way that he loves and serves within the house. Um, and then I should be able to say, that's because it's, it's not me that you see. It's, it's God that you see. And so it should be something different about how we communicate online and do things like that. I mean, Am I stepping on some things? Right no, you got it, man. Okay. You're, you're, anyway. you're killing it. You're killing anyway. it. Um, tell us something that we have talked about before uh, in, the, in, the, in the vein of taking on the name of Christ or being called sons of God or being in the kingdom of God is that you don't have all the same rights you have in the kingdom of God as you do in the United States of America. You talk about that a little bit and what it means when we take on the name of Christ, that means we have to lay some things down. Yeah. I mean, I'm when you see Jesus doing his little, uh, tour of, <laughs> of Palestine in this area, what he says to people is he says, uh, come deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. 
and he's not petitioning, but he's the Messiah of the world and people are following him. And if I was the Messiah, I would not have that be my platform for follow me, but die. Come and die. And deny yourself and lose your life, which is what Jesus says. And I think that is an indication of what type of following we need to do as we come to Jesus. As we get into the kingdom of heaven, um, it's this truth that the rules are different. We know that the last will become first and the first shall become last. We know the 70 times seven. How many times do I forgive my brothers? We know I'm going to look at the log in my eyes of the plank in yours. And we know those things. But I think there are some truths about being in the kingdom of God that sometimes contradict being in the kingdom of this world or even in the United States of America. For example, something that we kind of say is that in America, you have freedom of speech in the kingdom of God. You don't. I can't say whatever I want in the name of God. Yeah, that's good. I lost that right to say whatever I want. Now, what Jesus says, if we're following him, I only speak what the Father says. That's what Jesus says. Yeah, and so as a follower of Jesus and an imitator of him, I now have lost certain rights that I think I am free to do in this world. But because I bear his name, now I represent him. In his kingdom, Second Corinthians says that we're ambassadors of his kingdom, that literally I am to show you what that kingdom is supposed to look like and who that king is supposed to be. And as his kid, now I lost some rights that I used to have. Now, it's the truth that can I say certain things? Absolutely. Ought I? Should I? Absolutely not. There are certain things that are not uplifting, not building up. We see in the scriptures all the time, I think it's first or second Thessalonians five eleven. it says, now keep on encouraging one another, just as you have been doing that. There is this, uh, uh, quality about being a follower of Jesus that says, I'm going to tame my tongue to say what only my father says. And I think that applies to who we are when we follow Jesus, that as we enter into the kingdom of God and bear his name, we lose some rights, but also we gain an incredible inheritance in God. Excellent. Excellent. There are so many good questions. So I'm just jumping in because I'm looking at the clock. I'm looking at the questions and I'm scrolling down. Um, I knew we would get this question. um, And so I'm going to, I'm going to lead with it. Um, Pastor Brett, he unpacked where the whole idea of a man giving his name to his wife comes from in the Bible, all the way back to Adam and Eve. That's where we saw it from Ish to Isha, right? Right. Um, So the question is, is it unbiblical for a woman to not change her last name when she gets married? Come on, if you didn't know that question was getting asked tonight, why did you even come? Absolutely. That's why it's the first question put on the thing. Start us off hot, right? Yeah. Um, is it unbiblical for a wife not to take the name? I don't think so. Yeah. Where where I see where I see that is, um, I don't want to start my marriage off in disunity or separation. So, what is the reason why I'm not taking the name? Um, is the reason that because uh, if if there is a wedge. I believe that the enemy will always try and drive disunity, um, malice, that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if there's any place where there can be a separation where God said, when well, bring together and no man is going to separate, the two are going to become one. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of things that hint towards be as unified as you possibly can be. And so with that, I would say, is it a sin? Like, right. is it wrong? No, I don't believe so. I don't think it's wrong. I don't think that you're going to miss the mark in following Jesus if you do not take your husband's last name. 
um, I think that there is a unity that comes with the two becoming one that God pr- pronounces a blessing over. Right. You got a thought to add? Uh, no. <laughs> He's like, I'm not waiting into you, this one. If this is an indication of how this night's going to go, you need to start answering some questions. I need questions. an easier question, please. Uh, <laughs> I got the next one is coming for you. Okay. Oh, perfect. I would agree because the, yes. uh, the real question is what we're getting at is like, is, is that sin? Sure. Is yeah. really the yeah. underlying thing. And I don't, I don't think it's sin. That would be saying it's disobedient to the command of God. Now, uh, I would agree with you to say like, is there a blessing and a benefit? Is there kind of a, a precedent that says like, this is the way that it goes? Yes. And so I would be curious to kind of go like, like you said, what are the reasons not? And that would be a great question to sit down with a pastor and kind of unpack some of that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the idea, like, can you have two separate bank accounts in a marriage? Yeah. Yes, you can. You can. Why? Why? Yeah. Why do you want something of your own? It seems like that's not the point of marriage. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah, right. That's very, keep going. Keep going. Yeah, keep going. I, I, I'm not yeah, married. Yeah. I'm not going to. Well, I'll, I'll take, I mean, so. I'll, oh, wait, no, I am married. I have the freedom uh, to do it. I'll take it. Oh, I'll, I'll take right. it. Because I talk about this in premarital prep when I do it with couples. The bank account is one, right? Oh, well, you know, how am I supposed to buy her gifts if we have the same check? That's the only reason people can give me. For secret gifts. I go, first of all. Because we do that so often. How many gifts you really buy? It doesn't tell you on Amazon what you bought. That's where you're getting it from anyways. There's other, anyways, there's other ways to do this. But for me, but for me, because the heartbeat is not legalism, like you have to do it. I'm telling, the heartbeat is for me, I'm very sensitive to any level of division in my marriage relationship. I am on the prowl for that. So whether that's conflict, whether that's bank account, whether that's names, whether that's whatever, when I see a hint of a root of division or or a, a pathway, I just go like, why do you want that there? Is it worth it to you that there's a space now for secrecy? That for me, I go like, it might not be sin, but it sure doesn't seem wise. Okay. Here's the question I want to ask you. Oh, wait, I think it's real quick. Just, oh, now you want it. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't you bring me up here? He can't win. I was going to say, he can't win. I can't. I can't. Came all the way from Sterling, bro. (laughs) Um, <laughs> but do do you think it's more of of an identity issue though? Um, like some part, some portion of their identity that they are trying to trying to yeah, not hold lose, on, yeah, trying definitely. to hold on to. That I mean that within itself probably deserves some some counseling, some some meeting with someone. But I think I would you know if, as you scale back the question, you begin to ask ask the why. Mm-hmm. And as you guys have already uncovered some of the whys, I think another why might be. Um, identity, but again, you have you have two becoming one. So, so what are you really trying to get at? What are you really kind of holding on to here that makes you want to keep this identity and not attach yourself with one person? And you're saying you're going to live the rest of your life with and be one. Yeah. So I think that's that's uh, just something to put put a finger on and ask that question. Would have been good to have a female panelist up here. I probably changed your name, but uh, we got Sarah about. right here. You want? To <laughs> you just want to go into the audience? Say <laughs> so anyone ever. Yeah, no, well, I just, you know, to, to represent, I mean, so for me and my family, in fact, we spent way more time on this than I meant to, but Michelle took my name. It wasn't even a question, wasn't even an issue, like not even a second thought. Didn't even have to have a discussion about it. My brother is also married to a Michelle, right? And so there's potential for two Michelle McGraws in my family. So she didn't, cha- my brother's wife didn't change her last name to McGraw, but kept it. 
Uh, and, I under, and there's reason and there's whole thing. And she and my brother talked about it and they're cool with it and, and they're fine. But that was their decision in their relationship, in their marriage. And we honor and love that and love them. And they're great. So there are underlying reasons. And the big thing, again, like I feel like I keep saying is nothing replaces the conversation. And when it's a question too big to answer from a, the stage, go find a pastor and sit down or somebody. That, I, I like the way that you say it. Find the godliest person you know and ask them for a cup of coffee because you got a question for him or something. Um, so Jermaine, we're talking about families tonight. Um, there's a couple different questions in here about dealing with in-laws, dealing with family members. I know you've got a great testimony um, in your life of in-laws and relationship and repairing all of that. Could, could you maybe uh, tell that the Elevator story? pitch. Yeah. <laughs> give us the, you know, give us the two minutes. Don't drag it out. No. Um, okay. But, but to speak to how you navigated some difficulty and pain as a man of God to build and establish a relationship with your in-laws. My goodness. Wow. Um, so what's the question? The, the que- well, the- yeah. Oh, you just I, I never me, read you, it. You just yeah. want me to tell my story? Just start talking. Okay. No. All right. The question <laughs> is how do you stay connected in a marriage when you cannot connect with in-laws? And Ooh, uh, yeah. for me, I'm trying to read between the lines and make that question apply to as many people, which is you're in a marriage. There's conflict between relational okay. conflict, but, or not, maybe not even conflict, but uh, okay. not ease. Yeah. That's a, that's a big question. Um, I'll try to answer it as broadly as possible and also be very specific, uh, to my own situation. Uh, so I got married to my wife. We've been married almost 15 years now. Um, so yeah, give it up for that. Right. No, thank the Lord. So, uh, now here's, here's the deal. I'm, I'm black surprise. And, uh, my my wife is not. And so, uh, so when we got married, what? yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) What in the world? Somebody had to say it. I'm so sorry. So, uh, so, um, so anyway, there were, uh, just some tensions there, uh, where, you know, expectations were, were not met on, from her family's side, um, that, you know, necessarily, uh, I wasn't the, the person they thought that she would be marrying. Right. So, uh, needless to say, we went probably 10 years of our relationship without, uh, 10 years of our marriage without actually having a relationship with uh, my wife's father. Um, and so, uh, that was that was really tough because my wife had a relationship with her father previous to our marriage, uh, a strained one, but it's still a relationship. She had a relationship with with her mother as well. So we continued that relationship with with her mother and we kind of worked through that. But as you as you all know, that that does um, produce a lot of a lot of pain. Right. A lot of rejection, a lot of abandonment, a lot of hurt. And so uh, that's a really difficult thing to to walk through. Um, as you are still trying to pursue reconciliation at the same time. That makes sense. Like uh, you, you want this thing to work, but you also are also feeling like, do I really want this to work? Like, and if we do need this to work, I need to tell you how you've made me feel over these past 10 years. So you're going to sit down and hear me talk about this. Uh, And so, but that's not the biblical way to do it, honestly. And that's not what we did. I mean, and so one of the things I had to do was I did not want, number one, I did not want um, as much as I wanted to um, kind of create sides and have my wife choose a side, 
choose me or choose your father. That's not what I did in our marriage and our relationship. Um, you know, I did not uh, create a wedge between her and her father. And so everything that I did in our, in our marriage was to try to push her towards more relationship with her dad, mm-hmm. to, to love her father in a way. And really trying to create ways that, that I could come in and love him as well, um, although those things didn't happen as much as I would like. Uh, but I never once said, choose me or, or choose him, right? Uh, and I think after doing that for 10 years, you know, there, there came a moment where uh, my wife and I, after praying and praying and bringing other people around us to pray as well, uh, we were able to have an opportunity to come together, have a conversation with her father when he, when God had really began to kind of till the soil of his heart and uh, he began to get soft towards us um, and and his grandkids as well. And um, and so what happened after that was in that conversation. And again, this is why I think it was so important for me to have a biblical perspective towards forgiveness, towards mercy, towards grace is because for 10 years of praying, when the moment came for me to reconcile, I, I didn't have in that moment in my heart to uh, to just blow up and just vomit all the things that I felt were done wrong. But but in my moment, in that moment, it was a heart of reconciliation and love and saying, and, you know, when when that time came and he said, hey, how do how do I mean, you got to imagine this. Right. And, you know, 10 years of being rejected and being pushed away uh, because of the color of your skin. when nothing that you really have done is just because of the way you look. That's a really difficult rejection to deal with. You come in, you come into a room. Um, we were in a, a hotel kind of meeting. And I'm telling you the real long story. I know you asked for the short story, but I'm just kind of laying it out. Um, <clears throat> the backdrop of that weekend was the same weekend of the Charlottesville riot. So the same weekend, I'm meeting with the father in Culpeper, Virginia, kind of the south of Virginia. We're meeting, we're talking, um, and he has a, a whole book, basically. It was like as thick as my Bible here and uh, of things he wanted to say, things he wanted to kind of pour out in that moment. But he didn't know how to really begin the conversation. Uh, and so he, he looks at me and he looks at my wife and he goes, how, I don't know how to begin. Where, where do we go from, from here? And I said, well, I know how to begin. I love you. And I forgive you. And if you want to just move forward, let's just move forward. And you could, ha- you could feel in the moment. You could feel in the moment. Um, you could feel a, a breaking that happened. And he took his notes and set them to the side. The notes were no longer needed because God was in the room, right? There was no conversation that we needed to have. So, uh, and so all we did from that moment on was talk about what it looked like moving forward. Let's go on a family vacation. Now, listen, there was, it, just, it took some time, right? You know what I'm saying? So we weren't, we weren't ready for the, the family, the family vacations and things like that. But, uh, but I think, uh, just having a heart towards repentance, a heart towards loving, uh, and just getting yourself connected with the right people that just keeps your heart soft towards God and just recognizing that, I mean, you aren't like for me, I've always kind of recognized that God had forgiven me of so, so much. And who am I to kind of hold somebody else to a standard that God isn't holding me to. So anyway, that's my story. We thank God for that answer, that testimony. Now, you know why we brought him. So good, Jay. Um, the other, the other, um, just other side, other thoughts that may, you know, that's, that might not be your story, but as it, as it deals with in-laws, I think, 
um, the biblical um, standard, right, that we should not forget is that, is, is, is that a man leaves his mother and, mother and father to, to cling unto his wife. So the primary relationship in your household is your marriage. Right. The marriage comes first. The in-laws come later. And we cannot allow that to be inverted where mom and dad come first and then you and, well, I know it's you, but I got it. No, no, no. That marriage relationship has to be Teflon. It has to be locked. It has to be un, uninfiltratable by in-laws. And we need to guard and protect that because you cannot be healthy in the reverse order. It won't happen. And I know that that's hard for some people. So I don't say that flippantly or callously because I know the relationships some people have with their parents and that's difficult to break and that's difficult to step out from under. But this is why God orders it this way because health and blessing come on the other side of it. Um, Tell us, the Old Testament often used family names, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, How can we ensure that we are living in godly relationships when previous generations have failed? So thinking along the lines of, um, or at least the way that I'm interpreting this question, um, I don't come from a line of healthy relationships. I would like to. But the Bible seems to place a lot of emphasis on my lineage and on my heritage. So what do I do if that's not my story? How do I walk in a healthy relationship? Yeah, no, that's... That's a great question. Um, how do you walk in healthy relationships if you feel like there's um, a history of n- not that or maybe a, a um, like a training up, like you weren't raised in that way or the central history or tradition or maybe if you use biblical Christian words like generational curses type. Um, I would say, I mean, I've been reading First John a lot and in First John it says that now we are children of God. And so when you give your life to Jesus, you have a new family. Um, Jesus said that, if you look in the Gospels, like, it sounds harsh, but he came to say, this is not your mom anymore. That's not your dad anymore. This is your new family. And Jesus is so serious about you being adopted and to be seen now as wholly his. And so when we see and look back at our generational uh, history and blessings or curses or whatever you call them, I would say you have a new inheritance in Christ, that there is a different thing that you now get as being part of a different family. Your family gives you some stuff and God gives you something else. And as you receive your inheritance from God, I think that's a, that's a process of learning how to receive your inheritance. First John speaks about, we know this and we do this by abiding in him. And then it says at the end of first John, I think for, um, the way that we abide, the way that we, uh, love God is that we keep his commandments. And so I think a way that we can abide in him is we can keep his commandments. And when we abide in him, we evidence that we're children of God. And so I would say practically keep his commandments, which trains your soul that you are now his and he is yours. And then in that you start to receive the inheritance that God is giving you. And this is not in any way to detract from a real actual family history. Um, God gives hope though in the midst of that. And I believe that God has caused and made us through his spirit to be something different than what we were, which is part of the gospel. You see in second Corinthians, we are therefore a new creation in Christ. So now who you have always been doesn't have to be who you'll always be. Yeah. That's good. Got thought? I got thought. Yeah. I just wanted to encourage whoever asked that question. Um, Matthew, if you read Matthew one and I won't read it, because it's 
just the genealogy, but just read through the genealogy in Matthew 1 and read the, the line that, that Jesus comes from. Mm-hmm. And then begin to really study a little bit about the people that is mentioned Come that on. are mentioned within this passage, and then Very you'll good. begin to understand that that Jesus came to redeem us in yes. to some degree <laughs> from uh, our our family lineage. I mean, yeah. so I mean that's not that's not to knock on like yeah. I, I understand you know, family lines and things that are in family lines. Trust me, I know, right? So I could sit here for more more time and tell you all about my family, and I won't do that, but. But what I what I do what I do know is that God has has reached down because of His grace His mercy and and saved me and and basically changed me so that um, not be not because I, how do I say this I'm gonna say this correctly He has changed me and He has saved me and has placed me in this position to start something new within my family line yeah. right yeah. Um, and in the same way if if you as you read I mean He calls him the lion of the tribe. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But if you read the story and you understand a little bit about Judah, Judah was a mess. <laughs> he was a mess, uh, a complete wreck to some degree. Um, and and so I just I just love the fact that you can read this and really understand that um, you aren't lost because of past generations. Yeah, very that good. the story of Jesus is one that redeems. And so he can start something yeah. new with yes. you and your family. Amen. Amen. Come on. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's really good. Yeah. That's, it gave me time to think. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just the myth of like, nobody has a perfect family line. Exactly. No one. Nobody does. So every single one of us could go like, well, you don't know my, yeah. And Jesus doesn't care. He's going to redeem all of it. He redeems it. That's what, that's the offer is not for a perfect one. The offer is for a redeemed one. Um, oh, you're going to make me want to preach. You shout me down like that. Read a question, AJ. All right. A question. And another thing. <laughs> Don't amen him. <laughs> we know where this goes. Let me get some keys, too. Oh, it's on. Um, it's actually on. Sorry about that. Sorry, Stephen. Um, all right, let's, let's talk about this. Um, I'm going to read this question, but I think we're going to answer it in a little bit broader context. Uh, if it applies to any of you, and I'm sure that it does, have you stepped away from good friendships because you decided to follow Christ? So have you stepped away from good friendships because you decided to follow Christ? Um, again, to make it broad, to make it across, just the idea of are there friends that you can leave, should leave? How do you navigate that? What are your guys' thoughts on ending or leaving a friendship or maybe instilling boundaries within them? Yeah, um, I think the part that interests me about that question is good friendships. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm, I don't know what that means, have you had to leave good friendships when you started to follow Jesus? Um, if we're talking about good as in followers of Jesus, um, okay. And I think if it's we're probably talk- like long friendships, like people you've been. Okay. Yeah. Could you just, if you're here, just stand up. <laughs> just tell us your whole story. Just, just um, okay. Oh, she did. She okay, raised perfect. her hand. Oh, okay. perfect. Thank oh, great. you. Yeah. Okay, okay. Great. So, so long, so long friendships. Long friendships. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, just kidding, but thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Great. Good. Yeah. Close friendships that aren't, that don't follow Jesus. Yeah. No, I think boundaries are so important. We, we were kind of talking back before about this idea of, um, how to boil it down that, uh, 
who we surround ourselves with is really, really important because there's this idea that I haven't come up with a perfect thought around yet, but that as people get closer, they get heavier. So the closer somebody is to me, the more weight that they carry in my life. If you say something to me, it carries way more weight than if somebody watching online who I've never met says something to me, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're closer to me. And so the closer we allow people to be, the more weight that their advice, criticisms, um, opinions carry about us. And as I think as they should, as we engage in friendships that are long, I think the question is, do we have people in our lives who um, aren't just long in that we've been together for a long time, but that are long in a righteous way where they point us closer to Jesus? Because a long relationship is good, but only as good as they are close to God. Because that person with so much access to your life, I believe they need to be able to point you in the right direction that you're trying to go in. And if they're not trying to point you in that direction, then I think that it, it's like running like a, like, like you're walking in sand uphill, right? You take two steps forward and then you slide back one. Have I ever had to leave friendships that have been long and, uh, uh, they weren't following Jesus? Um, yes, but I didn't leave them. I love what you say. And I'm going to quote it, what you say. You said, I, you can leave me, but I'll never leave you. And I, I totally agree with that. I have not left them. Um, I've given them different access in my life, therefore that's different good. weight in yeah, my life. That's it. Yeah. yeah, I would probably say the same thing. I think, I think you kind of, for me, I've changed the purpose of the relationship. Mm-hmm. So um, whatever I need, I, the relationship has changed. So as I became a, a believer, my, my close friends became those that were really pursuing, yeah. pursuing God and pushing me to pursue God. Um, but I didn't leave my long lasting friends. I think the purpose of my relationships changed. I changed, I changed the things that I, I said to them. I changed the way that I communicated with them. Uh, but I, I think I stayed friends with, with them. And, and my, my purpose for staying friends with them was to, to be a light in their life. Right. Uh, And so, um, I don't necessarily think that's a, you know, we talk about this a little bit backstage. Sometimes we, we kind of get caught up in, in council culture a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, we'll be quick to just be like, hey, hey following Jesus, I'm just going to cut them off completely and just, and just walk away. But I don't think that helps. That doesn't help them at all. Um, and I don't think that's the, the way that we should go about it. And so for me, I think I would just kind of change the purpose of the relationship and how I yeah, pursue them. That's well said. Yeah, I think um, these, this great question and um, very difficult to answer broadly. There are some friendships um, it's a little bit different than the question that's asked, but th- there's, there's some friendships that are difficult and, and, and yet you're called to that person and to bear with them and to be long suffering and to be patient and to be a persistent light in a frustrating situation. And there are relationships that sound exactly like I just described that you need to create more space and put some boundaries in and change the access I think is the right is the is the, or is is the healthier way to say it? There, give each other credit. yeah, yeah. <laughs> love fest up here. Um, but yeah, there are certainly there are there are long friendships with people in the church that for me have changed over the course of my life. Um, and it's not malice. It's not why well, at least not from us. Like offense or hurt. It's just paths diverge, um, missions, pursuits change, things like that. And that's that's okay. 
Um, I think the myth is that we have to be best friends with everybody and nobody has the relational capacity to do that. Um, and so you've, with the people that you're with, be with them. And if seasons change, friendships come and go and wax and wane, that's a normal part of life. If there are relationships, like for me, there are some relationships and some people in my life that when I'm with them, they bring out the worst in me. And I put a lot of space between us and them. And that's not a them thing. That's a me thing. And so whether that's just feelings I'm feeling, emotions, things I say or do or whatever, I realize that when I'm with them, I don't like me anymore. And so I'm not going to be with them. And I'm not going to tell them, hey, listen, bud, you really bring out the worst in me. So we're done. You know what I mean? But yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create space. And, and not in an effort, not just to get rid of the pressure that's on you to change because iron sharpens iron. Sometimes somebody is sandpaper to smooth you down. Right. Yeah. And so you might have a rough relationship and then saying, putting space between it is not me saying, I'm just going to get rid of the thing that makes me uncomfortable. Cause sometimes you do need to bear. And I think just one thought as you, we go into the next question is, um, uh, uh, Paul says that the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating or drinking, but a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And when you consider relationships that are godly and fruitful, something that God has placed in your life, I would consider, is it producing righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? Is righteousness being produced out of your relationship? Yes or no? Is joy and peace being produced out of your relationship? Yes or no? Because that's the matter of the kingdom of heaven. And so I think a pretty good measure to decide whether something is godly or not in your life. Yeah, very good. I mean, so just real quick, but how do you create the space? I mean, we talk about creating space yeah. and not coming to me and saying, I don't like you like that anymore. <laughs> um, how do you then <laughs> create practically? How do you do it? To be honest, if we were here last week, you remember... <laughs> She said it publicly. You remember when Pastor Tiffany broke up with that guy and we all saw how she did it? Um, I think that's a great way to do it, to be honest. Um, And what I've learned from Pastor Tiffany, how she did it, was she was clear, kind, and concise. That it was, you're not ghosting them. You're not just going to say, I'm going to stop talking to you and I'm never going to see you again because that's not kind. That you're not dragging this thing on and saying, well, I don't know if I want to be with you. Sometimes I do, but now I have no friends, so I'll be with you again. That's not clear. Mm -hmm. And you drag it on and say, oh, well, let's talk about it. Let's pray for for weeks and weeks and weeks. That's not concise. And so I think if you do it in a kind way, you go to them and you're speaking kindly, not you're a horrible person. You do it clearly. They, this is is where I'm at, and I don't see our relationship moving in the same direction. So I think it's best if we kind of – uh, maybe change the purpose or change the access and then you do it concisely, I would say. Yeah. And that, I think that's a very mature and a great way to do it. And there are some relationships where I haven't had to have that full conversation. Um, you guys know that if you don't cultivate a relationship, it fades. Like, you know that cause you have, cause you're, you, and most of us go like, you know, nobody invites me to anything. Like, why don't you call me? And everybody else goes, well, why don't you call them? Because all relationships require cultivation. And so if there's a relationship that requires space, for me, I simply, in some cases, not all. And again, here, listen with wisdom. There are some I just, I I stop cultivating that. I stop putting time, energy, and effort into creating moments for us to go out to dinner and hang out and text group chat and all. Like, I, I I don't do that. Now, I don't ghost them. I don't refuse. I don't ignore them in the church and just like, you know, like y'all doing the grocery store when you see people from your past life. Just like, um, you just like, don't you? Just, 
was I high school or whatever? I don't know. Um, but yes, yeah, so anyway, so that'll take care of itself. Uh, Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Uh, the Proverbs is so rich with wisdom on friendships and relationships. It's A32. I have a couple that I think will be quick to answer. Um, not this first one, though. But I want to hear your thoughts, Jermaine, because we have answered this question. It comes up almost every week. It's about being unequally yoked. How do you know that you're unequally yoked? What does that look like? So, you know, we first fielded this in the marriage um, panel when we had that conversation. And that's a really important question that I know is on the hearts and minds of a lot of people. And so um, I thought if you had a perspective on it, if you could maybe show us what that might look like, what might be the evidence of it. The illustration that I gave... Um, giving you time to process and think through as I drop a big, my first, heavy, my first answer was like, no, I don't. Have yeah. Right here. <laughs> um, and it was just the image that, um, God just put right in my brain. You know, the image of being yoked for me is oxen carrying a plow, an image of two oxen unequally yoked in my mind is a big oxen and a little oxen. If that's the case, those two oxen are going to be going in circles. They're not going to be achieving their intended purpose. They're, they're not going to be able to do I'll say like they won't be able to produce the fruit a healthy relationship should produce. So you begin to see things more practically. Cause I know that's like an illustration would be like, you disagree about things of the Bible and the priority of, of your faith and of church attendance and these types of things being a part of the community. But when you hear unequally yoked and if you're counseling a young couple and they're saying, what does that look like? How do you answer that for them? Man, what a question. Um, so uh, yoke, so oxen carrying a yoke and what's put on them is a burden. And so you are then yoked together and you're carrying a burden. Uh, and what you're carrying or you're kind of leveling the weight of burdens. So you're carrying each other's burdens. And so what I, when I think about being yoked with someone, then you are carrying that person's uh, burdens and you're carrying and they're carrying your burdens and you're kind of doing that together. And so if you're unequally yoked, what you're carrying then at that point are, you know, uh, I would say burdens that you aren't necessarily meant to carry or kind of un unequal burdens or uh, ones that aren't really lined up together. So it's kind of a, a tug, a tension, a push and a pull. Uh, and you're really not going anywhere. You're kind of kind of being pulled in different places. Uh, and so if you are on mission, for God, uh, or you're supposed to be on mission for God, and you're supposed to be carrying a specific weight somewhere for God, and someone else is trying to carry a different weight and a different burden somewhere else, then basically you're stuck and you're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about, you know, a more practical example of someone who, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you this, this story. When I first got, gave my life to Jesus, um, uh, it was kind of a radical transformation for me. I was 18 years old on a college campus, but I was in a relationship uh, for three and a half years. But I, I knew at that moment that if I was going to really live for Jesus and, and live for God, that uh, I could not be in this relationship. Why? Because uh, the things that I already knew that God was calling me to on the campus in that moment, calling me to purify in my own life. I could not do in a relationship with this person because this person had an idea of what our relationship was going to look like. And so if you are unequally yoked, then in that moment, I, I believe for me, if I did not then unyoke myself from that person, um, I would not be the person that I am today. So I guess I would say, that would be my answer. How, but, uh, the question is, how do I 
unyoke myself or was the question should I be unequally the uh, question <laughs> was how do you know if you're unequally yoked like what's the evidence of it oh well how, how would you see it uh, yeah yeah I would say um, I mean that's a difficult question I mean I think every situation can look a little different but I, I would say normally for me if I'm counseling someone I can look and see um, you know what what growth looks like in their life um, and you know as they're moving forward in God and doing the things with God you know I think someone that's equally yoked with someone you can see uh, really sub- substantial growth um, and you can see them pursuing especially as a couple you can see them serving you can see them uh, moving and, and doing the things that God has called them to do and it's it's amazing to watch and see um, just the power of God on, on their life. But then you can see if one person is following God and other person isn't following God, that's a, that's a push and a pull and that's a tension in a relationship. And so that's a lot of strain. Um, and then you can kind of, uh, for me personally, I can normally see uh, a little bit, a little bit lack of growth, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, and real quick, I'm, I was talking to a pastor years and years and years ago, but he gave me five C's to know Come on. whether you're Equally you're sitting okay. on there on five C's. We you asked him the question, not me. So um, the five C's. Sermon. This isn't. This is just something that he learned and yeah. he gave. He said five C's to know if you're unequally yoked. Christ, obviously, uh, are you? Do you both love Jesus? Two is character. When you talk about you guys' character, personalities, the way that you guys engage with each other, um, calling is a big one. What are you called to do? What are they called to you do? If you're called to the mission field and they're called to the workplace. One of you is going to have to give up something. Maybe that's not it. Cash. What are your plans for resources? How do you guys see money? Mm-hmm. And then lastly was chemistry. Yeah. He was just talking about how you guys literally interact. And we're talking romantically. Then I think that right. that's probably something that I think you can consider. Um, don't want to belabor the Say point. those five again. Just but like I would say Christ, character, calling, cash, and chemistry. Great. That's what he said. All right. Uh, two minutes to do this. Tell us very quickly, 10 seconds. How do you treat your brothers and sisters of Christ uh, or no, I'm sorry. Well, let me just read it like this. How do you treat friends that don't really know God? The Bible says like a tax collector and a sinner. Um, that sounds very aggressive, but what Jesus means, I truly think, is that he treats them like an unbeliever and you share the gospel with them. Yeah. So you love them. What are you supposed to do? You love them. It is. I believe that you give certain access to them. Jesus didn't tell the secrets of the kingdom of heaven to the crowds. He told them to the disciples. And he also shared certain parts of his character and who he was with Peter, James, and John, his best friends, also with Mary and Martha, some of his other best friends. They had different access. So how do you treat them? You love them. And you have a certain um, uh, access or purpose of the relationship. Great. Jermaine, we touched on this, but just to give a clear answer is what about hyphenating a name in marriage? Is that wrong? We love this idea. No. I wonder. Great. I didn't know. Good answer. <laughs> Sorry, I spoke Good answer. your answer. I didn't Good hear answer. your answer. Did you say uh, no? Yeah, he said no. no. He just said no. Oh. I think it's a great answer. Uh, how can I submit to my husband if... <laughs> How can I submit to my husband if I feel more spiritually mature than him? Uh, I'll answer this one because in my message, we talked about celebrate the glimpses, look for the little moments of success, affirm the behavior you want to see. Um, it's, she said, husband. yeah. So if it's your husband, he doesn't need another mom to tell him what he's doing wrong. He needs a helper to support him and affirm him in what he does and what he does well. Um, what? It's true. It's true. Um, Jermaine, if, okay, la- last one and then f- final thoughts. No, let's do final thoughts. It's, eight, eight, it's 840. The buzzer just sounded. Final thoughts from this message from tonight. Um, any last nuggets of wisdom? Can we thank these guys real quick, by the way?
That time goes fast. It happens all of a sudden. Um, final thoughts. Um, when talking about families and relationships, <laughs> friendships specifically, I think that they are used for a purpose. So God places them in your life. And what we kind of talked about um, a few weeks ago, uh, it's not you, it's we, is that God shows his care for you and his grace for you by people. So God loves people with people. And so I would say find those people in your life, pray for it. I remember there's a season of my life when, um, long story short, didn't have a lot of like really close guy friends in my life. And so um, I remember an elder came up to me and literally was just like, hey, are you praying for that? And I was like, no, awkward. I probably should be. And then I was praying for that. And then God brought some really great relationships in my life. And so I would say pray for the things that you feel like God wants in your life that you feel like you don't have yet. Um, um, relationships are designed for a purpose. And so ha- be on, ha- be relationally um, um, connected to people on purpose. What is God using that person to do in your life? Um, whether it's a Batman or a Robin yeah. kind of thing, like every, every Batman needs a Robin, every Robin needs a Batman. Maybe you have the relationship where you just need mutual encouragement in God. And so I would say, pray, um, have those relationships be designed for a purpose. What does God want to do with them? And then submit them to God. Great. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, I'll close with this kind of like a good pastor should with this Bible. Um, <clears throat> I'm uh, never going to speak first yeah, again. You, go. Don't speak. Yeah, you always I mean, have. Yeah. <laughs> like a good pastor. Like a good said. pastor should. Um, like a good neighbor. So <laughs> arm is there. Jermaine is there. Like a good pastor. <laughs> Numbers, Numbers chapter six is uh, a familiar passage. Um, and it's another priestly, high, uh, priestly prayer. Right? Aaron's blessing. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, you shall say to them. And it's the song that we sing, the blessing, right? I'm not going to sing it, but it, it's uh, the Lord, the Lord bless you. I, was, I almost, you almost sang it. Yeah. You almost sang it. Whoa, what was that? The spirit of worship has fallen in the spirit this of my twin brother came on me. Uh, <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. And it says this in verse 27. Uh, and this is the, what they were actually doing when they're saying a the prayer saying, so they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Um, and so what I, what I take away from that and what I'm encouraging you all with is that when I love pastor Brett's message, Bishop Brett's message is the name, the name of God is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a gift and that we should all cherish and, and really kind of just relish in that. The fact that, that God would, would put his name on us that he would say that you are my son and that you are my daughter. And I would say, don't, don't run away from that, but pursue what it looks like uh, for you to walk with that name on you now. And, um, and, and really just the, the blessing is with his name. If we do the things that God has called us to do in his word, if we, as we follow his word, his blessing, I believe that our relationships will be blessed. I am a, I am one that is, can look at my life and say, the fact that I have listened to God's word, followed his word, obeyed his word, um, it, my relationships, my family um, has been blessed. I'm living proof that if, if you can forgive in such a way that God has forgiven you, then you will see God answer you in such a way um, that you have never really thought that he would answer. So um, 
God bless us. Amen. 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 One more hand for these guys.